Good morning. We've been going through the book of Acts, um, or rather we started going through the book of Acts from last week, and over the next few weeks, uh, poss possibly months, we'll be going through the book of Acts. Um, and so it's my honor, my privilege, uh, my humble privilege to carry on from what we talked about last week. Uh, Pastor Kibet took us through a few uh, pointers uh, from last week, uh, talking about Acts 1 from 1 to 11, um, about how God uses us, about uh, the dynamics of our relationship with him, um, and how his will plays out in our lives, among other things. So um, today we're going to look at Acts 1 from verse 12 to 26. And we're going to do something expository. Yeah, anybody know what expository is? Take scripture as it is, and you go verse by verse and expound on what the verse is telling us. You see, here's the thing about God's word. God's word is alive and active. It never goes back to him void, right? Uh, many times we read the scriptures looking for a particular message. You know, you're having issues at work, or your boyfriend or your husband is being uh, thick-headed, and so you're looking for scriptures to support whatever issue you're going through. True? But sometimes you can go through God's word, and God says something to you that's completely unrelated to whatever you're going through. Completely, and it's off. And sometimes we ignore that and say, that's for somebody else, or that's for another day. But the thing about God's word is it's alive and active. Whatever you hear from God's word is applicable. You might not see the, the, the point or the, the importance at that point in time, but it's alive and active and it will do something for you. So I'm about to throw somebody under the bus, uh, somebody who is a very good friend of mine, my sister, and I want her to read some scriptures to us. Yeah? And she's looking at me in disbelief, but yes, it's you, Lucy. I'd like you to read for us um, Acts chapter 1 from verse 12 to 26. Acts chapter 1, verse, sorry, verse 12 to 26, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. This all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of the names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture has to, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Basabas who was surnamed Justus and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, 
who know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. So that's a very interesting uh, passage of scripture. Um, and this, this is a, a, an insight into the early church and how the church began and, you know, some of the things that the church used to do and the way that they used to interact with one another. It's, it's, uh, it's very clear in this scripture. But let's take this section by section, right, expository style. Um, Acts 1 verse 12 says, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olivet, in some, some uh, translations, or the Mount of Olives, which is a Sabbath day walk from the city. So the Sabbath day, uh, as you know from the Levitical law, the, on the Sabbath you're only required to walk a certain distance. You know, you couldn't do your full 10, 12 kilometers that people used to walk every day. So the distance they would cover would roughly be a, a kilometer and a half. Yeah, those guys who, who walk and do my fitness things, what, what distance is that roughly, like from here? What is like about a kilometer away from here right now? Um, clean shelf? Maybe? Yeah, or something further? Yeah? Roughly clean shelf, around clean shelf, yeah? That's a kilometer and a half, roughly, uh, which was a Sabbath day walk, which means it was not far away. The Mount of Olives was not very far out of the city of Jerusalem. Um, and, you know, the ecological structure of Jerusalem was Jerusalem was surrounded by hills, including uh, the Mount of Olives and others. Um, so the point behind that is that, you know, we don't have to travel very far to meet with the Lord. These guys had basically just come from seeing Jesus ascending into heaven. You can imagine their, their state of mind, um, their, their leader, their, their Lord, their friend had just been taken away from them for the second time. Yeah, you remember he was crucified not too long before that. And after resurrection, he came, stayed with them for about 40 days, and then he was taken away again. So you can imagine their state of mind. Um, and here they have just seen him taken away uh, for the second time. Um, and, you know, because the Mount of Olives is not far away, we can deduce from that that we don't have to go far to meet with the Lord. The Lord is never very far away from us. Um, a Sabbath day walk is not a long distance. I know there are people here who drive everywhere, so even a Sabbath day walk is a long distance. But you get the point, that it's not, he's not very far away from us. Uh, the Mount of Olives was very significant in Bible history. It appears numerous times in the scriptures. One of them is in 2 Samuel 15 verse 30, right? And this is the story of David. And what happened is David has just been betrayed by his son Absalom, right? Absalom came and uh, David and his household basically abandoned the palace and took off, right? And Absalom came and took over the palace. You remember the story. Uh, he went, took uh, David's concubines and went up to the, the roof of the palace and slept with them there. It was supposed to be a huge abomination for, for, for David and a huge embarrassment. And David wept. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 15.30 that he wept as he went up the Mount of Olives um, after, you know, uh, Absalom's betrayal. Um, you know, thousands of years later, Jesus makes a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we know the story. You know, he sends his, his disciples to go and find a cult for him. And they bring him a cult which has never been ridden. And he sits on the colt and he rides into Jerusalem. It's a triumphal entry and everybody's rejoicing and the, the palm trees are put on the ground and people put their cloaks on the ground. And it's a really, you can imagine the scene, right? People are wondering, hey, what's happening? Who's that? 
And here comes Jesus riding on a colt. And it's a big celebration. And the Bible says he came from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Right? Um, another thing that happened in the Mount of Olives was Judas's betrayal at the Garden of Gethsemane. So history tells us that the garden, well, not history, but um, ge geography tells us that the Garden of Gethsemane was actually at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Okay, it was just an open space, a garden, um, just at the foot of the, of, of the mountain. And Judas co comes up to Jesus and identifies him to the soldiers, and the soldiers then arrest Jesus, right? So Jesus' betrayal happened on the Mount of Olives. And these are just a few examples of um, uh, the significance of the Mount of Olives. My point is that the Mount of Olives was a very important um, place for the people of, of Israel, the children of Israel. Because a lot of things happened on that mountain. Sorry, my mouth is... Right? So that's verse 12. Um, and there are other examples of, 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 of uh, the significance of the Mount of Olives. Verse 13 goes on to say this. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas. You're worried I'll kick it over, eh? uh, Thank you, thank you, Alice. See, uh, that's a senior pastor wife uh, already. She's already kicked in. Ah, bless you, bless you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas son of James. Uh, and these are basically the 11 disciples. You remember Jesus had his, the three who were close to him, and then he had 12 who he used to walk around with. Um, so these were the 11 of the 12, and then Judas was the 12th. Um, and then there were other people. So they all joined together in const constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's Jesus' brothers. So what you know, what I deduce from this is that the apostles had a culture of communal prayer and fellowship, which happened even after Jesus was crucified, right? The Bible records in John 20, 19, that the apostles basically retreated, right? You remember, again, imagine their state of mind. This is, this, these people have been walking with Jesus, and to them, Jesus was like a, a military ruler. They were waiting for him to take over the, the kingdom from the Romans, and then all of a sudden, this same Jesus is, uh, is betrayed, and within a matter of hours, he go, goes from being this triumphant, wonderful, amazing king, soldier, stroke warrior, to being a criminal, being crucified on the cross, within a matter of hours. So you can imagine their state of mind. They're confused. They're like, what, is, what, what just happened, right? He had told them this was going to happen, but did they believe him? I don't know. I, I can only imagine. I don't know what their state of mind was, but I can imagine they were in a state of confusion. But even in that state... They came together and they communed together. They came, they, they, they gathered around each other and they spent their time praying and fellowshipping. This went on even after Jesus ascended and is one of the hallmarks of the early church. The church spent time together. When things were thick, when things were good, they were together. When they were confused, when things were not working out, they were together. And this is one thing that we should learn as a, as a church, Right? that we don't dissipate when things get thick, when things go wrong. We come together, just like the early church did. Um, and it's important to note that this happened even before the Spirit was sent. You remember Jesus told them before he ascended that, you guys go, uh, chill in the city like this, I'm sending the Spirit to come and help you guys, okay? 
So these guys were already communing. They were already in that mood of prayer and working together even before the Holy Spirit was sent to help them, right? Um, so what I deduce from that is three things. Number one, that diligence in spirituality is a matter of discipline. Sometimes we, we assume that God is going to give us the Holy Spirit so that we can be disciplined in our prayer, right? That I need the Holy Spirit's uh, anointing so that I can uh, read my Bible. But these guys did this even without um, the help of the Holy Spirit, that had been sent, that was sent a few days later. Diligence in spirituality is a matter of discipline. How often you pray, how often you read God's word, it's not about God sending his spirit upon you. You need to be disciplined enough to do it. Okay? So how often do you do these things? That's number one. Number two, spiritual activity is a family affair. This is critical because verse 14 says that they joined together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus' family was involved in his ministry. We don't hear much about his brothers or about Mary. We hear about Mary more often. We don't hear about his brothers. We don't hear about Joseph. I don't know where Joseph was. But Jesus' ministry was with his family. He would go out and all those miracles he did, these people were with him the whole time. His family was with him. Spiritual activities are family affair. Are you in a family? Your faith is not just for you. The Bible says, yes, that, uh, you know, we, 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 we come to the Lord ourselves as individuals. But it's not personal. We do these things together. Um, Joshua 24 verse 15 talks about that. And this is Joshua at the end of his life. He has spent his entire life alongside Moses before Moses died. And then thereafter leading the children of Israel into the promised land. So you remember Moses was denied entry into the presence, into the, the promised land. So Joshua is the one who took over from Moses, and he was basically a military leader. Okay, Joshua was a warrior, and he went in there, and they spent years fighting and killing people. Yeah, that's basically what they did. And at the end of his life, um, Joshua comes to the end, and he says these words in Joshua 24, verse 15, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you remember that? And if you read about what he said before that, because he basically tells the, children, the, the Israelites that, uh, you know, you guys could decide to do things differently. You could decide to go in a different direction. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I can just imagine. And I, again, I, the thing about uh, the Bible is that it's, um, it's like a movie, yeah, for me. When I just try to put myself in that scenario. I just imagine myself standing next to Joshua and watching him as he delivers these words. Huh? I just try to imagine that. And I can imagine him, an old man, probably sitting on a stool somewhere and speaking to these guys. And he spent his whole life working and fighting and doing all this stuff. And he knows how the people of Israel were. He remembers how Moses was so frustrated with these guys. These guys were stubborn and hard-headed, and they refused to listen, and they, would, um, they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. So you can imagine, he was, very, he, he, he was aware that these guys can be very fickle, right? And so when he tells them, he's basically telling them, you guys can do whatever you want to do, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Same thing happens in Acts 16, verse 31 to 35. And I know these guys are scrambling because I should have given these things to MJ. Uh, he actually asked me to send him these, 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 these verses. Yes, you guys are good, huh? You're, you're with it. Strong stuff, man. Acts 16, verse 31 to 35. Um, and what's happening here is Paul and Silas are in the prison. They have just been uh, taken into custody because there was a riot that had happened. And so they were accused of being the ones who initiated that riot. So they're basically taken into custody to prevent the people from tearing them into pieces. And so they're in the prison and they are singing hymns and worshiping God and the, the, the gates of the prison are opened. 
Yeah, you know that song. Paulo Nasila Waliomba Paulo. That's the one. And this is what's happening in this in this verse. So the prison gates are flung open, and this the, the jailer looks and realizes, Allah, these guys are about to escape. So in fear for his own life, because he thinks that people are going to accuse him of letting the prisoners go, he decides to kill himself. And just before he does that, they stop him and tell him, don't do that. As we are here, we have not heard, this is God's doing, etc., etc., etc. They preach to him, he gets converted. And the Bible says that he and his household were converted to the faith. So that's the thing about God's uh, ministry, that it's done as a family. We do, we do ministry together as a family. Are you in a family? Do you have siblings? Do you have children? Um, ministry is not just about you. Your faith is not just about you. It's done together as a family. Find ways, think of ways that you can involve your kids, your siblings, your, uh, your parents in the work that you do for the Lord. Amen? And then the third thing is that fathers are meant to lead spiritually. Men. Men in the house. How many dads do we have in the house? Fathers. Yeah? I, I thank God for every one of you, that you guys are here in church, willing to be part of this process, to listen to God's word, to be involved in church ministry. I can guarantee you, you're few. There's, if you look, I've just, you put up your hands, I'm sure you guys are like 20% of the crowd here. Because, unfortunately, there are not many men who are willing to take up this mantle. Yet God expects us as men to lead spiritually. So that's the thing. I don't know where Joseph was. Uh, the Bible doesn't say much about Joseph. Joseph, the father of Jesus. So we don't know where he was. I don't know if he was a deadbeat. I don't know. But he wasn't there. We don't hear much about him. Okay? He was probably a really cool guy and he was uh, part of the ministry. I don't know. But the point is that as fathers, as men, we are required to lead spiritually in our homes. It's not enough for you to come to church. It's not enough for you to uh, be physically present in your children's lives. You need to lead them spiritually. And that's a mandate that God has given us. Okay? We together? Yeah, this feels weird for me because I'm, I'm used to giving guys like five points, five key areas. So this feels a bit weird. But thanks, thanks, Pastor, Pastor Kibet for the opportunity. So let's move on. Verse 15, um, 15, 16, and 17 uh, talks about how Peter stood up among the believers. And, um, you know, the Bible says there were a group numbering about 120. So again, thinking about what that looked like, uh, we only hear mostly about the 12 who Jesus walked around with. But this is a group of about 120 people. So I can imagine there must have been a big crowd following Jesus at any point in time. Okay, 120 is not even us. The, the, how big is this audience? This crowd here is probably what, like 70, 80 people? Like 50. Yeah, we're about 50 right now. So you can imagine double this plus tax, who are the people who would follow Jesus. They would walk around with Jesus everywhere. Those are the believers, right? And Peter stood up among these guys and um, basically relays a prophecy that was put in the, in the book of Psalms. Um, and talks about how, you know, Judas had been, you know, predestined, so to speak, to betray. He was, number, he was a number of the community and shared in the ministry. Um, but what Judas did was in fulfillment of scripture. So this is what I want to say to you. Three things. Number one, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The scripture was, the prophecy was that, um, you know, one of you who shares among your ministry will betray the Lord. And nobody knows who it was, but it was going to be one of the 12. 
So that was the prophecy, that was the scripture. And scripture has to be fulfilled. God's words, God's promises must be fulfilled. What does that say to you in your daily lives? What has God promised you? Is there anything that God has spoken to you in your life in the past? A prophecy. Maybe it happened in high school 30 years ago. Okay, maybe it happened uh, last week, last Sunday when Pastor Kibet was talking. Maybe it happened last year. God made a promise to you. God gave you a scripture and said, this is going to happen to you. You know what? God's word must be fulfilled. God's promises must be fulfilled. Whatever God has said to you, whatever God has promised you, he will fulfill it. It might not happen the, the time that you want and maybe even not even the way that you want, but God will fulfill. If you look back and think about all the things that you had been praying for over the last five, ten years, Think about all the things that you have been trusting God for. If you look back and do an inventory, I guarantee you, God is answering your prayers as you go along. So this is an encouragement to you. You might be in a place where you feel things are not working out or things are not happening the way you want or the way you expect them to. God will fulfill his promises. Whatever he has said he's going to do to you, for you, through you, he will do it. And that is a guarantee. Amen? Amen? Yes, that's usually the part, if I was a, 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 an evangelical apostolic preacher, that's the part where guys stand up and, you know, there's a upako fulani, but anyway, it's okay. So that's number one, God's promises will be fulfilled. Number two, we have to distinguish between what God wills and what we want. Because sometimes we equate the two. We assume that because we want it, God wants it for us, which is not true. Not necessarily. Sometimes your desires are just your own desires. They're not God's plan, purpose, or will for you. And it has to, it, we have to be careful to not equate God's plans or God's desires with our own. The Bible says his ways are above ours, like the east is from the west. God is different from us. God is a way, way ahead or above us. So we can't just assume because I want this, because I really want that job, because I really like that girl, and I really want her to be my, my wife or my chick, right? So this must be God's will for my life. Not necessarily. Sometimes what you want is just what you want. It's not what God wants for you, okay? Um, the thing about it is that it's very easy to assume or to mistake God's presence and God's silence for consent, and we say that just because God is not rebuking me or stopping me, then God must want this for me. Let me give an example. Um, you know, the book of Acts talks about how God tolerated the, the, the conduct of the children of Israel in the desert. He tolerated them. Okay? Which means he didn't want what they were doing. He didn't, he, I don't know. I don't know if he likes them or not. I don't know. But he tolerated them. Do you know what it's like to tolerate somebody? Yeah? Have you ever met somebody who you feel, I don't like this person, but I have to be with them because they're my colleague or they're my wife or they're my child and I tolerate them. I don't want to be with them. I love them, but I'd rather they, they are over there. Yeah? That's how God was with the children of Israel. He tolerated them for 40 good years. And you can look at that situation and think, look, he provided for them, he gave them manna, he gave them water, he gave them quail, he gave them uh, fire to protect them in the night, he gave them a cloud of um, clouds to protect them from the sun during the day. So obviously, he loved them and he wanted what was good for them. But the Bible says he tolerated them. So this is the thing. You can think that you're, you're blessed of the Lord and that God is happy with you because you're not being punished for whatever it is that you're doing. God could be tolerating you. My friends, God could be tolerating you. So ask yourself, 
are you in God's will? Is God speaking to you? Is God uh, happy with you? And how do you know that? How do you, how do you tell whether God is speaking to you or not? You have to build that muscle through prayer and communion with him. Right? It's a muscle. It's like any, anything else that you, you have to build. You take time. You spend time with the Lord. You pray. You, you read his word. And as you walk with him, you get more and more sensitive to his voice. And you get to know when he's tolerating you and when he's not. Okay? God's provision does not mean God is happy with you. God could be providing for you uh, Shingo Pande, telling you, this guy, I, I don't want to be near this guy, but it's my child. Watch an impact here too. Okay? That's number two. Number three, um, and I've said many number two and number threes. Huh? I hope you're keeping track. Number three, it's possible for you to be in ministry and even walk with God, yet betray him or not know him. Judas walked with God. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. Do you realize what that means? To be Jesus' disciple? To be part of his ministry? To be there with him from the time he was baptized and rose up from the Jordan to the time that he died? Judas was there with him. I would dare say that they were, it was every waking moment for three years. They were together every day, all the time. Judas was close to the Lord. And yet, despite that, he is the one who betrayed him. Yeah, can you imagine what kind of person would do that to you? Your friend who's been with you all this time. And then just the minute you turn your back like this, knife. Shrap. That's what Judas did. It's possible for you to walk with God. It's possible for you to be in ministry. It's possible for you to serve the Lord in very powerful ways and yet betray him or for him to not know you. Matthew 7, 21 and 23 talks about that. Okay? He tell, this is the Lord telling um, the people that, be away from me. Yeah? Depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. Can you imagine that? You've been doing miracles in his name. You've been serving. You've been doing all of this stuff. And then God tells you he never knew you. Wow, that has to be painful. It's possible for you to be in the ministry. It's possible for you to serve the Lord. It's possible for you to be known for your powerful works. And yet the Lord does not know you. I'm tempted to mention this. I don't know if, if it's appropriate, but I will anyway. We all know about this uh, minister of God called uh, Ravi Zacharias. Right? And you've heard about the scandal that has happened around him. Now, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know him. Um, personally, I have no idea whether what happened was true or not. But imagine, you know, decades of ministry is being wiped out because of his actions and his behaviors. Right? Whether he's guilty or not is not for me to say. But it's possible for you to walk with the Lord. It's possible for you to do amazing exploits for the Lord and still not know him. Ensure that the Lord really knows you. Ensure that the Lord will never ever say to you that I never knew you. Be the kind of person who walks with the Lord, who knows the Lord, who hears God's voice, not just does his, do, his, his work or fulfills his ministry, but know the Lord. God is not interested in your service or in your ministry. God is interested in you. He wants you to be close to him. Then you will know him, and then he will know you. Okay? We move on? We're together? Okay, let's move on. Uh, verse 18 um, talks about what happened. Let me read it. It says, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. Um, Shaba, he may have been um, from a certain communi community in Kenya. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. That's gruesome. I mean, how does that happen? You must have been a high field. I mean, or it was a quarry, I don't know. Considering that uh, he bought a shamba with his, his proceeds uh, and what we suspect the community he came from, it could have been a quarry, we never know. Uh, his intestines spilled out. 
Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they named that field Akeldama, that is the field of blood. So here's the thing, Judas betrayed the master. Terrible thing to do, uh, very selfish of him. Unfortunately for him, it was prophesied, it had to happen, and it was, unfortunately it was him, it was on him to do it. Um, but he betrayed the master, and what did he do? He took off with his proceeds and he did, you know, his own thing. But do you know who else betrayed or denied the master? Do you know who else did that? Peter. Peter was the leader of the church, but he also denied the master. He betrayed Jesus, not as badly as Judas did, but he betrayed Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 75. Incidentally, uh, sorry, I'm a trivia guy. Uh, Matthew 26 is one of the longest chapters in the Bible, right? Um, there are maybe four or five other chapters in the Bible that are longer than Matthew 26. Matthew 26 has got 75 verses. So it's, the, it's like the fifth largest, fifth longest uh, or chapter in the Bible. End of trivia. Peter betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times. And the cock crowed and he was like, whoa, what have I done? But you know what Peter did? Peter repented. Peter came back to the Lord. He didn't go and buy a field with the proceeds, partly because he didn't get any proceeds for betraying Jesus. But the point is, he didn't disappear. He actually came back to the Lord. And because of his, his um, and in many ways, because of his betrayal and because of him denying Christ, he was strengthened by that action. And the Lord entrusted the church to him. Yeah? Jesus commissioned him and said, you are Peter and upon this church, upon you I will build this church. Right? Uh, the Catholic uh, religion or the Catholic uh, denomination of our religion believes that Peter was literally like um, the missionary of, of God. Like they literally built the, the Vatican uh, on Peter's grave. So they, take it, they took it literally. So the Vatican, um, there's actually a grave where Peter was buried. Uh, I don't know whether it's actually his bones. But the point is that Peter was entrusted with God's uh, kingdom because he repented and came back. Judas was unrepentant and he died in his sin. But Peter repented and came back and God restored him and God gave him um, much more ministry. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, um, an extension from where Pastor was reading for us earlier, that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. So, do you feel like you've betrayed the Lord? Do you feel like you've done something wrong or evil? Do you feel like you're living in sin or that you're in a, a compromising situation? Maybe you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. Maybe you are in some sort of deal uh, at work. There's some deal that's happening, Chinyameza, and you're in the mix, right in the middle. And you feel like you're betraying God. You're being a Judas. And it ningles you every day. You're, it disturbs you. You know what? Don't be like Judas. Yeah? Don't go buy a shamba with your money. Come back to the Lord like Peter did, and God will restore you. Yeah, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us of all our sins, all our unrighteousness. Don't walk away from the Lord. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad you think you've, you've messed up. The Lord will restore you just like he did Peter. Amen? Okay, verse 20 says, For Peter said, It is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let no one... Uh, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Referring to uh, Judas and what Judas did. And this is what I, I, I deduce from that. That, number one, none of us is indispensable. None of us is indispensable. Right? None of us is indispensable. You think that your, your ministry is God's gift to mankind? Maybe it is, but you're not indispensable. God can replace you. 
We all have our role to play in the smooth, effective running of the church, but God can replace any one of us at any time if we're not playing our role. Right? Are you playing your role? Do you know what your role is in the church? Are you sitting on those talents and hoping that somebody else will do the work? God will replace you. God will take that gift and give it to somebody else. God will take that opportunity, not the gift. He'll take the opportunity and give it to somebody else. And his ministry will go on. Our service to the Lord in the body is for our sake, not his. We don't do these things for his sake. We're not doing God a favor. Yeah? Guys, you're not doing that, the, the, the stuff you're doing with the media. It's not a favor you're doing God. Anybody else can come and do the same job. Yeah? Pasi, you're going on sabbatical. And when you're gone, the church will run. By the way, Pastor Kibet will do an excellent job and he'll, he'll run the church. Yeah? Pastor Kibet, when you're finished with, your, with the, 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 the service and Pasi comes back, it will go on. Right? For any one of us, God's work will go on. God will continue to do what he needs to do. God will minister to those people in your life. In your office, those guys who you've been ignoring, who you've had opportunities to reach out to and you've not done it, do you know what? Some guy is going to come out of nowhere, a new recruit. Yeah? Some young guy will just come out of nowhere, Atanza Bible study, and before you know it, those guys will be born again. You're just waiting for the Lord to, 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 to open up your eyes and to give you opportunities. Yeah? Yeah, that, that, that place where you, you know that God has given you the, the ministry. You have an excellent singing voice. Yeah? You can sing Mbaka Angels when you're on Yamaze. And you're just sitting there too. Not to too, just criticizing the worship team over here. Ah, and they're off. Mahali. Yeah? You know you can play the keyboard. You know you can play the guitar. You're just criticizing the guys here. Like, oh, you know these guys by the way. I would have done ABCD. God will take that gift. He'll take that opportunity and give it to somebody else. And the work will continue. We serve God not for our sake. We, serve, we, don't, we don't serve God for his sake. We serve God for our sake. It's for us to minister to the Lord. It's God who has given us these gifts. He doesn't need us to do these things, guys. Imagine he doesn't need us. Even me, by the way, the, the, the day I decide I'm going to ring out with this, this ministry that God has given me, imagine he'll just raise another chairman and that's it. Done. Ministry goes on. Yeah, Luke 19 verse 40 says that, that the stones will cry out instead. Can you imagine stones crying out? you refuse to praise the Lord, and then stones start crying out. Just picture that, stones crying out. God can do that because none of us is indispensable. Do not take your position or your talents or your abilities for granted. Use them to serve him while you still can. If you don't, somebody else will and will do exploits for him. Right? You know, Peter was referring to the book of Psalms and he said, you know, may another take his place of leadership. You know, Judas may have thought that Jesus' ministry is going to collapse once he's betrayed. Once you pluck this guy from his team, the guys are going to dissipate. Guess what? Not only did that galvanize them, it actually turbocharged them. Right? And within 40 days, the Holy Spirit came down and you know what happened. The rest is history. The church grew at a phenomenal rate. There was a day that Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Can you imagine that? Altar call, 3,000 people. Wakuapambele, altar call. 3,000 people. Us guys are 50. 3,000 people on one day gave their lives to Christ. That's the power of the Lord. That's the power of the Spirit. And if you refuse to do it, God is going to raise somebody else to do it. Amen? So what gifts do you have? What talents do you have? What knowledge do you have? What experiences do you have in ministry or in any other area? Are you utilizing them for the Lord's benefit? Or are you waiting for somebody else to come? Don't be that, uh, don't be a Judas. 
Don't just betray God by sitting on your talents because that's what Jesus, Judas did. Use them for God's benefit. Amen? Okay, um, we're drawing close to the end. Verse 21 says, uh, verse 21 through 26 now talks about how they replaced Judas. Okay, remember we've said just now that uh, God will use somebody else in your place if you don't take up the opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. These guys basically picked from one of the um, 12, or one of the people who was around them, one of the 120, and they picked Matthias to take over from Judas. Um, and here's the thing, uh, you know, the, let me just read it. It says this, um, beginning from John's baptism, that's verse 22, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection, a witness. Here's the thing, time spent with the Lord is a qualification for service. For you to serve, you have to spend time with the Lord. The qualification, the, 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 the criteria that they set for this person who will replace Judas is that this is somebody who had to have been with Christ from the beginning. They had to have spent time with Christ from the beginning. They were not just going to pick some random guy because he has a good voice or because he looks good in, uh, in what, what did they used to wear those days. It was not about that. It was about spending time with Christ. They said it had to be somebody who was with us from the beginning. So for you to serve, your qualification is that you have to spend time with the Lord. Matthias, or Matthias, uh, had been with the Lord from the beginning. You can't bear witness if you haven't seen anything. Have you seen those things, those clips on TV, where some guy comes and starts saying the way he saw what happened? And then he gives you this long story about what happened. Yeah? The reason why he's qualified to talk about it is because he witnessed it. He saw it. You can argue with his uh, methods and you can disagree with him, but he was there and he saw it. And that's the same thing with us. For us to serve the Lord, we have to be witnesses. And for us to be witnesses, we have to see what the Lord did. Okay? You can't witness about God's doing if you didn't see it. You can't tell people about something that you did not see. I cannot go and be a, a witness in court about an issue that I have no idea about. Praise God. The apostles were witnesses or ambassadors sent out to spread the message. That's what actually what the word apostle means. It's a witness or uh, an ambassador, someone who has been sent to go and tell others about what happened. And the qualification for that was they saw it firsthand. Here's the thing, guys. Witnessing God's goodness requires you to go out and tell others. Has, it, has God done anything good for you? Any one of us? Anything? Anyone who has been witnessed God's goodness in any way in your life, in any time? Anyone? Yeah? Do you know what? Because you're a witness, you are required to go and tell others about it. Because you're a witness. Let me say that again. You are required to go and witness to what God has done because you saw it for yourself. You should not keep it to yourself. Has God done something for you? Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell others. Go share with other people. Has God's word been a blessing to you? Have you read a scripture that made you think, wow, 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 God has such wonderful things to say to me? Go and tell others about it. Because you're a witness, you are required to go and tell others about it. Right? In, in legal issues, in, the, in, in legal uh, matters, they require you to come forward. And in some cases, they, they, they compel you to come forward. And they say, you are a witness of this issue. The prosecutor or the guys who are prosecuting the case will say, this person knows something because they were there. This person is a whistleblower. Okay, they are part of the accounts department and they saw what happened. So they're going to compel you to come by force if necessary. Force by force by fire. Tell you, come and tell us what happened by force. 
You don't want people to force you to tell of God's goodness, do you? That's something that should come naturally to you. So again, because you're a witness, you are required to go and tell others about it. Do not keep it to yourself. God has done something amazing for you. Why are you keeping it to yourself? God has blessed you. God has opened up doors for you. You got a new job. Your business is growing. You've got a new contract. Why are you keeping it to yourself? You're a witness. Go out and tell others about it. Right? That's just like Matthias. Matthias was a witness of God's goodness. He was a witness of Christ's ministry from the beginning, from the time Jesus came out of the Jordan. He was there. And because he was a witness, he was required to, to come forward and, and say what he, what he learned. All right? So that's my challenge to you, among other things. What is it that God has done for you? What is it that God uh, has said to you? What blessing has God bestowed on your life? Do not sit on it. Don't wait and, and hope that uh, people will hear. You go out and you tell others because you are a witness. Amen? Now, here's another, another notion, uh, maybe changing tack a little bit. Um, the issue of casting lots. And I remember struggling with this a little bit. Uh, because when you think about casting lots, you think about gambling. You think sport pesa um, or karata or loto 649 or whatever number that was. Right? You think of uh, some sort of... Um, a gambling situation, that casting of lots was sort of like taking a chance. Let's just see. Whoever is the most popular person will win. Okay, if people are casting lots among 120 people, what are the odds that the most loud, the most interesting, or the, the most exciting person wins uh, the, the lottery? Yeah, that's what you'd imagine, right? But casting lots was often used in the Bible as a way to determine God's will. Let me say that again. Casting of lots was often used in the Bible as a way of determining God's will, right? By casting lots. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 10, verse 20 to 21. Saul was selected by Lot. This is Saul who became the king, the first king of Israel. He was selected by Lot, right? They cast lots. They picked his tribe. They cast lots. They found his, his, uh, his family. They cast lots, and they picked him by Lot. It wasn't about, uh, you know, some fancy logic or some algorithm, they cast lots. Again, 1 Samuel 14, uh, verse 41 to 42, some, uh, Saul used lots or cast lots to determine wrongdoing in the camp. You remember, Saul had given them a command, the soldiers, and told them, nobody eat anything until you defeat these Philistines. Right? What happened? His son Jonathan, who had not had that, that command, took his spear, dipped it into, a, into a, a, honey, a beehive, and took some honey and was refreshed. You remember that story? You remember the story? Sunday school people, Sunday school, yeah. Yeah, and as a result, they, they were defeated by the Philistines. And so Saul was like, this cannot have happened. Somebody must have sinned. Even if it's me, even if it's me or my son, that person must not, well, must pay. Even if it's my son, Jonathan, they must pay. Turns out it was his son, Jonathan. How did they find out? They cast lots. John, 4, uh, John 19, 23, 24, the, the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus, they cast lots to take his, his clothes. Remember that? They sat there at the, at the cross after crucifying him. Man, those guys were evil, man. The guy is dying on the cross and they're busy dividing his stuff, man. Those guys were evil. But anyway, they cast lots to determine who gets what. Uh, Jonah 1.7. Jonah, when he was running away, he had been sent to Nineveh to, uh, to tell these people about, you know, uh, God's judgment. By the way, sorry, trivia, trivia break. Uh, Nineveh was one of the, the largest, uh, you know, cities in the world at that time. 
okay? It was a huge trading and uh, economic city. Think of us a big city like New York or London. That's what Nineveh was. Huge, big, a lot of trade going on. Um, so him going to Nineveh would have made a very big difference. End of trivia. So he's running away from the Lord, and these guys cast lots to decide who gets thrown into the ocean. Same thing with Joshua. Um, did you know this? And I didn't, I didn't know this until I was researching on this uh, message today, but the, the land of Canaan was actually divided by lots. Did you know that? That they actually cast lots to decide who goes where. So they've gone, they've at all the Canaanites, they're ready, as are, higher, here we are, we are here. So who takes, who goes where? And they cast lots to decide these guys go this way, this tribe goes that way. They cast lots. Again, Joshua 7, verse uh, 14 to 18. Achan, who stole some goods uh, and hid them in his tent, they cast lots to determine who it was. So the notion of casting lots was actually often used in God's, uh, in, 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 the, in the scriptures to determine God's will. Um, so this idea that they had to cast lots to decide who, you know, Matthias, who would take over from Judas, is not a foreign concept. It's not gambling. It's not sport pressure type stuff. It's actually God's will. That is actually a prescribed way to determine God's will. And so as we, as we wind down, because I, I know we're, we're really short on time, but as you wind down, I just want to you know, talk, talk about three things, three summary issues from what we've read so far, um, which I hope we can, we can take with us. Uh, one of them is that, number one, all of us have important roles to play in the church. All of us, every single one of us. Yeah, and your role does not necessarily mean filling the pews and making the church look like we have enough people. Okay, that's helpful, that's important, but that's not it. There's more that every one of us can do. Ask yourself, what is it that I know? What is it that I can do? What is it that I'm knowledgeable in? What area of life am I skilled in? And ask yourself, how can I apply this? The question to ask yourself is, based on what I know about myself, based on what I know about uh, the church and the ministry, what can I do? Okay? Don't ask, what do they need from me? Ask yourself, what is it that I have and what can I do? You know, I'd love that Pasi would now be overwhelmed with requests and people asking, you know, why don't we start this kind of ministry? Why don't we do this kind of work? Why don't we engage in this kind of thing? Right? I'm sure that would be amazing support for the pastors. Don't ask what it is that they need from, from me. Ask yourself, what is it that I have to offer? Every one of us has something to offer. And if you don't play that role, trust me, somebody else will come. Yeah? You've been sitting there thinking, you know, you've you, you ever had that thought where you ask, you say to yourself, hey, Maze, that M-Pesa thing, Maze, me I had that idea, Aki, I had that idea. Me I knew. M-Pesa, Kwanzaa, if you send money person to person, ah, me I knew. In fact, those guys stole that idea from me. Yeah? You sat on it. Somebody else took it and ran with it. Same thing with ministry. You can be sitting there thinking, this church should start a digital ministry. Social media. These guys are doing their social media so badly, man. I can do much better. You're a social media manager in the office. You're being paid to do that kind of work. You do it very well. You've won awards. And you're sitting on it. The church needs you. Don't ask what the church needs from you. Ask what it is that you have to offer. Um, that's number one. Number two, we are witnesses of all God does in our lives daily. The fact that you're witnessing, the fact that you've witnessed it, the fact that you are there is enough reason for you to speak out and share it with others. Yeah? Don't look for opportunities. Don't wait until the church calls for Testimony Sunday. Share what God is doing in your lives. As you're walking in the parking lot, as we are leaving the church, share. Tell people what God has done for you because you are a witness. And lastly, we have to walk with the Lord diligently every day. 
Walking with the Lord is exactly that. It's a relationship. It's something that you walk with someone every day. Every one of us has been in a relationship at some point or another. Okay, I'm, I, don't want to, I, want, I don't want to ask you to raise your hands because that might not be very appropriate. But every one of us has been in a relationship at some point. And you know that relationships take effort. They take time. This is somebody who you don't know very well, and you're going to learn them over time. And you'll go through your friction, back and forth, rubbing uh, each other the wrong way, and all of that. Same thing with God. The same thing happens with our relationship with the Father. But it takes effort, it takes diligence, and we can and should do it. My question to you is this, how much effort are you putting into your walk with the Lord? Are you assuming it's going to be easy? Are you assuming that waking up in the morning to pray is just going to be easy? And when it becomes difficult, you say, ah, maybe that's not for me. No, it is for you. You just need to spend more time doing it. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. The things that are, that are important, the things that last, the things that add value, the things that are impactful are difficult. They're hard. People have to sacrifice to do them. The people, the, 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 the gains that we have seen in society today are because somebody somewhere took a big risk, even at the, the cost of their own lives, to do it. Are you growing in your, in your professional life? Have you studied an, uh, for, for a course? It wasn't easy. You sweated, you sweated blood, tears, and you finally finished. And when you graduated and you put on that gown, you are happy with yourself. It was worth it because you spent so much effort to get to that point. It's the same thing with our work with God. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. A relationship that you can count on, a person that you can rely on, it's not going to be easy. This is somebody who you're going to have to um, take time to understand. Yeah? The Lord is somebody who is, is, is complex. He's somebody who has so many facets, so many sides to him. There's so much about the Lord that we don't know. But we have to spend time to learn. We have to spend time to understand. And if you don't take the effort, it will not happen. How much effort are you putting into your work with the Lord? And when you don't do that, then you expect... Test one, two. Testing one, two. Testing one, two. And if you don't, if you're not willing to spend that time or to put in that effort, you can't expect to see results, right? Those of us who do exercise or who are in the gym, Stano, amen? Yeah? Ask Stano how much work he puts into it, yeah? He's pointing at somebody else. But just ask him how much work he puts into, into what he does. For those of us who work out and do gym stuff, if you ever try to lose weight, it's take, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. And it's the same thing with our relationship with the Lord. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't expect to be tied with God just because you're a Christian. No. You have to put in the work. Guys, you have to put in the work. That's what it takes to be close to the Lord. Amen? I want us to pray right now. I just want us to close our eyes. I'm just going to ask if there's a few of us, if you have, if this applies to you, if you can just, just quickly shoot up your hand and put it down. I'll, I'll see it and I'll just pray for us. But are you there and um, you feel like your walk with God is not where it needs to be? And you feel like, uh, you know, you're kind of drifting from God and you, you don't really know him very well. You feel like, I don't know, you feel betrayed by him maybe or that uh, you don't quite understand 
maybe it's because of a season in your life, but you just feel that your relationship with God is not what it, it, it used to be or what you feel it could be. Maybe if that's you, just put up your hand quickly and put it down. We'll pray for you. Yeah, I see you all. Right, your hand, your, your, your relationship is not where it should be. Okay, maybe you're there and you also have um, a gift or an ability or a talent um, and you've struggled for the longest time about whether you should apply it or how you can apply it in serving the Lord. Yeah, if that's you, just put up your hand real quick and put it down. Okay, you have some sort of skill, you know, you know that you can do this, you can give this, you can contribute this. You can just put, down, you put up your hand and put it down. I can see it. Okay, we're going to pray for you. And maybe you're there and God has done good things for you and God has really blessed you in many ways. And you feel, I need to tell someone about this. Or you feel convicted about not being um, a witness to what God has done for you and in your life. Maybe that's you and you feel, I need to do something about this. I need to witness. I need to tell somebody what God has done for me. Just put up your hand quickly and put it down. Okay? You have a desire to be a witness for what God has done in your life. Okay? All right, I'm going to pray for you. All of you put up your hands. And those maybe who are still thinking about it, um, I'll just pray for us now and hope that God will, will, will minister to us. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this day. Thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for what you've told us and what you've taught us uh, through your word. I thank you because you are a good father. You are a good Lord. You, are a, you, you love us unconditionally. You love us in ways that we cannot fathom, in ways that we don't even deserve. But you love us anyway. And we're grateful for your goodness to us. We want to ask you, Lord, to, to bless us and for every one of us who's here who feels compelled to play a certain role in the, in the, in the, in the body of Christ. Lord, there are some among us who have gifts and talents and they know they can use them, but they've never thought about it. They've never had uh, the courage to step up and do something about it. I just pray that, Lord, you, you give them the courage today, Lord, that you'll give them opportunities. You'll let them see what it is that they can do, that you'll get them to ask the right question, which is, what is it that I have to offer? What is it that I'm bringing to the Lord uh, today? That they will bring their offering of their, their energy, their time, their effort, their, their creativity not just their resources and their money, but what they have in their substance to be able to serve the, the, the work of the Lord in this church. I pray, Lord, for those among us who have uh, borne witness to what you've done for them. They have been blessed in numerous ways, or you know, they've seen your hand in their lives in particular ways, and they feel compelled to, to say something about it or to witness uh, to somebody and encourage somebody. I pray the Lord will give them opportunity to do so. I pray that, Lord, there'll be numerous times when they can come forward and say what they've done and, and say what they've seen. It might not be in service. It might not be in a testimony service or something of a sort. But, Lord, there'll be opportunities for them to speak about what God has done. I pray that, Lord, wherever they are, in different um, parts of their lives, and the different uh, places where they interact with other people in their lives, I pray that, Lord, you will allow them it is to witness to what God has done for them. But Lord, they will uh, take those opportunities bravely, boldly, and be able to encourage others by bearing witness to what you have done for them. And I pray for those of us, Lord, who have um, waned in our, our spiritual walk, who have waned in our spiritual disciplines, whose relationship with you is not where it could be. I thank you, Lord, that they, they have seen the need to improve on where they are spiritually. I pray that, Lord, you will draw them close to you, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you will encourage them, Lord, that they will have the diligence and the, the energy uh, to put in the effort and the work and the time uh, that is required to build a long-term sustainable relationship with you. Father, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you will continue to encourage them. 
uh, pray that Lord you will continue to give them uh, to give them the unction and Lord to to prod them um, in their spirit so that they will get back to where they were that Lord they will understand what the power of um, the disciplines of the faith does in their lives spiritually I pray that Lord they will not uh, struggle for much longer but they will see this as an opportunity to grow spiritually and take up the the the, the, the diligence and the effort that's required to build up that relationship and as they do so Lord may you reward them may you meet them in the place of their 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 need Lord that may you show them what they've been missing all this time in not um, you know following through on the disciplines of, of, of the faith I pray that Lord you would bless every single one of us thank you for this church thank you for uh, this community that we are in I thank you Lord that you put us in this place where we can be uh, a light in this place that we can be a difference to the many people around us who who need help who need the light who need the gospel I pray that Lord you will help us Lord to be missionaries you help us to be witnesses here in our Jerusalem which is in Langata Lord and that as we reach out and as we spread the gospel here in our Jerusalem the Lord you will walk through us you will minister through us you will minister to us thank you Lord for Pastor Joseph and the wonderful amazing work he's done in leading this church so far I pray that as he goes to rest the Lord you'll give him rest um, and the Lord, you will you will speak to him in a mighty way, and the Lord, you will bless him. I pray for Pastor Kibet, who's taking over um, as as a senior pastor for for the time that Pasi will be away. I pray the Lord, you bless him abundantly, Lord, that the church will thrive and and grow and and prosper under his leadership, and that Lord, we will be there to support him and to 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 be there for him uh, during this this transition time. We give you praise and glory. Thank you for all that you've done for us and be with us as we go out. Uh, for it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Amen.